Hey everybody, welcome to Commercial Construction Elevate the Industry podcast series, hosted by yours truly, Dave Presida. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. The reason for the uh, podcast is simple. We want to help everyone from owner to intern understand the industry better so that you can make the best decisions about where you want to go and how you want to get there. Now today, you know, I, I talk about things I like to talk about, okay? But this is in particular one of my favorite topics without a doubt. It's about prefabrication. And that is a very oversimplified term. But we're gonna talk about prefabrication in commercial construction. We're gonna define it for you. We're gonna talk about the challenges that we face in the industry, uh, the difference between industrialized construction, modular construction, prefab, so you understand that. We're gonna talk about the opportunity that prefab brings with it to both business and employees. How technology, the, the increase in technology has paved the way for more prefabrication. Why it didn't work too well even 10 or 12 years ago and why it works well now. We're gonna also really get into the prefabricated exterior wall. So. Strap on your, uh, your uh, seat belts because this is going to be a fun ride. Industrialized construction. If you listen to Autodesk, they're massive, right? They're going to they're term it industrialized construction. And all that means, it, it promotes the advancement of the construction processes by employing mechanization and automation. Basically, what it's doing, it's, it's combining construction with manufacturing. That's industrialized construction. Modular construction is a form of off-site production. You're gonna hear off-site construction, modular construction, but modular construction has been popular now for a while, and that's where units come out. It could be bathroom pods, it could be, it could be hotel rooms. They come out and get put into place. They actually form the, the, uh, the framing for the existing building. But we're going to talk about prefabrication, which you could, you know, you could say prefabrication is the practice of assembling components or prefab assemblies in a shop somewhere off site, shipping them to the job site and building it on the site. Right. But a lot of stuff is done off site. And that's where the real value comes in. Uh, Autodesk, as I just mentioned. They're a big proponent of industrialized construction. And if you look, if you just Google Autodesk and industrialized construction, you're gonna see, and I'm gonna read this. It's projected by 2035, the majority of buildings will be constructed using IC as manufacturing and construction converge, utilizing manufacturing expertise in mass production and construction's ability to design and build a highly customized complex product. Now, that's just a, a fancy way of saying, like I said earlier, construction and manufacturing are merging. So for some that want to call it industrialized construction or modular, modular construction, I'm just going to call it prefab. So prefab is not new. It dates back to ancient times. As a matter of fact, it's, it's, summer, it's surmised that the first actual engineered road was built using prefabricated timbers in England. I don't know if that's real or not, but more recently, uh, 
during uh, World War II, when urban homes were bombed out, the, uh, those urban families were moved into prefabricated homes for temporary housing. It makes sense. Now, I've been involved in prefabrication my entire uh, construction career, which is over 40 years. First, I was an erector and an installer way back when, and I'm, I'm saying way back when, when prefabricated exterior wall panels, cold foam metal framing, sheathing, and ephus or some other, uh, some other finish were made in a shop and shipped to a job. My crews went and we installed them. We got a crane, we hooked them up, we put them on a building, welded them in place. That was a great business, that's how it started. Matter of fact, we did the Tropicana Hotel and Casino with Jersey Panel. Dominic Barufi, president and one of the founders of Jersey Panel, was interviewed in season one. He is, might be the godfather, sorry for that term, Dominic, godfather of, of prefabricated panels. Now, second, I was involved as an assembler and an installer. Now, this is a crazy story. Initially, my business was insulation and related products. Insulation, right? Fire containment. So we go into New York City and they build a high rise. They put aluminum frames up, then they put glass on it. And then we have to put insulation behind it. It was huge until somebody in the curtain wall business decided that prefabricating units made more sense. And it did. So a company out of Miami called Glassaloom decided they were going to prefabricate all of these, including insulation, into a unit that they would ship north on trucks and that they would lift with a crane and tack to the building. So there, there went my part of my insulation business. But that's what happens when, when you get new technology and new ideas in the business that changed the way curtain wall contractors, designers design curtain wall. Prefab in a shop, almost every major job across the country today is done and it's called unitized curtain wall. So instead of insulating those walls, we decided that we would take the pieces made in Montreal, brought down to a shop we had in Hoboken and put together the pieces, the units, shipped them to the job and erected them. That's what we did. America's Tower was a great example of that. Now, as a manufacturer, right? I'm involved with a company now, CJ Coakley. They started a company called Prefab uh, Solutions LLC, PSL. And I've been involved with them for the last two years as a consultant, but it's a big, it's a big deal for me. And we now manufacture and install prefabricated units in the entire uh, DC metropolitan area. Now, let's go back. What was the value at the Tropicana for prefabricated uh, exterior cold foam metal framing walls? It was simple, cost. Yes, yes, they, they uh, installed them quickly, no question about it. But the cost differential in both cases, in America's Tower with prefab curtain wall units and the Tropicana, was the difference in the cost of labor to build them. You had shop labor at probably a third of the field labor. So cost drove prefab back in the day. Um, now, why didn't it take hold in commercial construction? I think that really it's, it's like anything new. It's you know the reluctance of owners to embrace change and make capital expenditures that were necessary for proper prefabrication. 
they really didn't want to do it, and I, I, I almost agree with them because the technology wasn't there yet. Lack of skilled workers, both in the shop and in the field, pushback on labor unions. Let me tell you two things. At uh, Glassloom's first job in New York was downtown Manhattan, and they installed the units, and I got you know twenty a day. It was it was it was crazy, fast and efficient. But a certain union who did glass didn't like it, so they went and broke all the windows. So that was like, you know, the labor pushback. The labor unions, and, and most of them are really, really good, don't get me wrong, but they have a vested interest in making sure their people have work in the field. They didn't like units. They don't like prefabrication. That's one of the other things that slowed prefabrication. Supply and demand throughout the AEC, the architectural, engineering, and construction community. Architects, why design buildings for prefab when there weren't many contractors doing it? Buyers, why put prefab in your spec when there weren't too many options to buy from? And the concern was always there. You hear the horror stories. As a matter of fact, in uh, season two, episode one, Brian Termel, VP of uh, Public Relations and, uh, and Strategic Initiatives for the AGC succinctly tells a story about Disney where they were going to prefab this entire area. And they did. But guess what? They had to refab with an R. Refab everything because nothing fit. Because technology wasn't there yet. So why is it catching on now? Well, several reasons. One is the need. I mean, schedule. Schedule demands are crazy. You know if you're a contractor, well, I don't care what you're doing, schedule is king, especially if you're drying the building in. Owners and general contractors want that building drying in just as fast as possible. Lack of manpower, right? Prefabrication. If you can do a lot in a shop in a controlled environment, you're going to mitigate the issues you have with labor force in the field. And I'll explain that a little bit more later. Cost pressures. Now, one would say, well, prefab costs more. It does. It does, right? If you're comparing apples to apples, stick framing versus prefabbing, stick framing is probably cheaper. But at the end of the day, the speed and the cost savings to an owner and a GC, both in cost to borrow money, the GC in general conditions, and the ability to create revenue early because you delivered a building early makes way makes up for the money, uh, the premium that you might pay for precast. Quality control, lean building demands, right? These are all things that, that lend themselves to prefabrication. Now, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the popular types of prefabrication that you'll see today in commercial construction. We'll see you in a minute. Hi, I'm Patrick Ripple, founding partner of ISA Architectural. I've known that chap right there for well over 20 years. And what a 20 years it's been. I'm Larry Windsor, yeah. partner, vice president of construction services. Our third partner, Mike Morehouse, can't be with us today. We are the Mid-Atlantic's premier sales force for architectural building products and engineered architectural solutions. For over 15 years, we have been providing comprehensive design solutions to architects and designers all across this region and high quality economic product solutions to contractors and subcontractors too. We bring products and people together. We specialize in the building envelope, everything from the weather barrier all the way out to different types of cladding. 
We fully understand the rain screen principle, and we have an interior portfolio specializing in wood and metal walls and ceilings. If you're a developer, part of a design team, architect, or interiors, or if you're a contractor, let us help you. Visit www.isaarchitectural.com and see how we can bring value to your project. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, let's talk about some popular prefab assemblies that you're going to see today. And I'm going to start out by, by, by saying one word, repeatable, repeatable. I repeated that. Anyway, things that are repeatable, and I don't care if it's mechanical, electrical, plumbing, structural, it doesn't matter. If it's repeatable, it's doable in prefab. Roof trusses and housing. You go by any housing division and you'll see trusses stacked up. They're pre-built in a shop and brought out so you don't have to have guys hanging up there all, all day long. You get a, a light duty crane to pick it up. Exterior walls and commercial buildings we talked about have gone back forever. Precast, precast concrete. When I was in college, I worked at a precast concrete factory, if you will. It was dirty, it was a mess. <laughs> but we, you know what we built? We built precast tees. Look at most parking garages. Most parking garages are made by precast tees that sit on columns. Precast tees are just that. They're made in a shop, repeatable, right? Exterior precast walls. Now, they're really heavy, but they make sense. They're, 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 uh, precast goes into a form, right? It's cured, they bring it out, and they put it up, they hang it on the building. Highway bridge components, think about that. If you can save a month of traffic anywhere, you know what the value of that is. Prefab helps. We talked about MEP components. What about grease duct runs or duct runs in general? Um, load-bearing walls. You'll see a lot of load-bearing walls up and around where uh, the walls go up, both exterior and interior, and then metal decking is, is uh, dropped on top of that and concrete poured on that. So it's load-bearing. It bears the weight of the floor and the structure above. Modular construction, we talked about hotels and dormitory rooms and bathroom pods. Let's talk about bathroom pods. So conventional construction of a commercial bathroom, <laughs> it would entail no less than five trades. You're talking about drywall, electrical, plumbing, flooring, painting, right? And there's probably more I'm not even talking about. So as a buyer, if you have a hundred bathrooms, you're going to have to coordinate five trades, not only to install the stuff, but they all have to buy the material. They have to ship it to the job, store it somewhere, have a separate line item in their trade payment breakdown, invoice for it, right? Hope it doesn't get stolen. And they got to install it. It's a mess. It's a small area trying to fit five different contractors into one area. Now, um, prefab, Pods, bathroom pods, assembled off-site. I remember going back, I don't know, 15 years ago, and I was at a a, a pod uh, uh, workshop, right? I wanted to learn about it, and we did. We met a couple of pod manufacturers, and they're still around today. That was a long time ago, and the kinks were yet to be worked out. But again, we're going to talk about it in a minute. As technology has has increased and improved, so have the uh, the uh, level of bathroom pods that are available. Think about this. Because of BIM, Building Information Modeling, 
the plumber knows where the plumbing fixtures go. The uh, electrician knows exactly where to put his outlets and so on, right? The building, you know exactly where the height is, including the, the drop pad. So when you bring that pot onto the floor, whether it be off a hoist or off a loading platform, it will slide into space. How much room do I have for little wheels on that thing, right? Well, these things are, they didn't used to get worked out. We did a pod job in LA once and the pods were too big. So we had to shorten them. Long story short, you know, the drywall sub alone, you think, you know, you think it's difficult. The drywall sub alone typically goes into a bathroom four different times. That's just, that's just not, now why was it bought that way? It was bought that way because, because at, you know, pods were still evolving, but the, the buyers, the contractor, general contractors knew it would work. It wasn't great, but they knew it would work. So why does prefab work today? Well, I mentioned this word probably a half dozen times already. Technology, the ability to build offsite with all the parts and pieces and having the confidence that it's gonna work, that you don't have to refab everything, right? It used to be, you know, building information modeling. And by the way, I am no expert on that, but it's, it's a software program that was originally it was originally a deliverable to the owner where they would get all their OEM information. But typically the modeling, the, being, the building information model itself was way behind construction. So it couldn't be used uh, to, to help people build, right? And then came clash detection, which was a great thing because you can look at a building information model and say, well, this duct is going to impact with this rated wall. Something's got to give. Before... You have a crew of carpenters and a crew of, of tin knockers on the job looking at each other saying, what are we going to do, right? So, you know, the, the tool maps out continuous construction and allows for the highest level of confidence in off-site construction. You know, in season one, I mentioned his name again, Brian Tremell uh, talked about the Disney, the Disney episode. It was a horror story. It didn't work. But now that we have BIM and other tools, people can build units, they can build assemblies off-site knowing that they're going to fit. We will discuss BIM in detail in another episode with an expert, but let me give you a couple of more uh, tools that we can use today. Point cloud laser scan, a laser scanning tool, right? You set it up on a floor or or off-site, look at an elevation as the building goes up. It gives you dimensions of every single structural unit to within a 32nd of an inch. Now that's amazing. If you're gonna make an infill panel, let's say you've got concrete to concrete, floor to floor, and it's nine, eight and a, and a half. I mean, we, we looked at this. We, we did a job at, um, in Wheaton. And in Wheaton, the job, we, we did a laser scan. And we weren't sure, so we measured it. And I gotta tell you, it was right on the money. Roll formers. They, you can roll your own steel today. And you, now, it's not just rolling your own steel, it's being able to take that laser scan, take the information from the laser scan, detail in Revit the, uh, the exact dimensions of the panel. It'll go into another MWF, I don't want to get into that, software, which goes into a jump drive 
which plugs into a roll forming machine, which then rolls all of the studs, six inch, 16 gauge studs with pre-drilled uh, pre, uh, holes and swages and you can't believe how simple it is, right? Robots. Now you got a big power. Robots that can install panels. Now you can see the glazers used to do it with big suction cups. So they had a, a big lighted glass. It might weigh a thousand pounds. You know what people handle that. So you get a robot. It's a, it's a robot. It might be, you know, manually uh, worked uh, or driven by somebody, but it's a robot that uses its, you know, its inherent design to lift the glass into place. We can do that now with large infill panels. You know, and I say this and the beat goes on. Things keep changing. And why? what happens? I, I would say this. There's always, it starts out with a need. And I mentioned the things before, schedule, manpower, clean, you know, lean building practice, quality control, safety, all those things. That is the need. Coupled with advances in technology, building information modeling, laser scanning, robots to lay out, robots to install. Now you're getting buy-in from the architectural and the engineering community, the design community. Okay, so now we've got designs that require tools and machinery. Well, guess what? Those companies have stepped up too, and I just mentioned some of the things that they provide. So now you've got contractors looking at this as a way to increase their business, to be progressive to provide things that others don't, to differentiate themselves from others. So now they got the contractor buy-in. And I'll tell you, this is what I do. I get the owner and the GC to buy in because we can demonstrate that prefabrication makes sense, is economically feasible, and has so many other benefits. So when we get back, we're gonna talk about the differences in the types of construction and how prefab relates to each. So we'll see you again in a quick minute. Hey everybody, if you're looking for a strategic business partner who does subcontracting work on the interiors, let me tell you about the CFP group. They are a minority business enterprise and have been in business for over 20 years. If you're interested, you can contact them by email at cfpgroup1 at gmail.com or call them directly at 410-977-8568. That's 410-977-8568. Take it from me. I've done business with them, and I know they can get the job done. And welcome back. We're talking about prefabrication, one of my favorite subjects. So we're going to talk about the exterior wall construction in general. There's two types. There's load-bearing and there's non-load-bearing. Load-bearing is structural, which means... As I said earlier, load bearing means it's bearing the load of everything above it. So it's built in progression from the ground floor up, right? You can have masonry, right? Cold, uh, uh, concrete masonry units, CMU. And you could have cold form metal framing. It's usually 12 to 16 gauge, uh, and it could be six inch, eight inch. Uh, but basically you're building you're, you're creating building blocks. And it, the good news about the cold form metal framing, it is almost always prefabricated. Now, the mason, you know, then that's a growing business. Uh, the masonry business is a shrinking business. And think about why. And, and we love the masons. However, if you're building a masonry building now, we like the look of brick, but you need uh, some kind of backup. And now it's instead of masonry, it's going to be 
typically cold foam metal framing, sheeting, and air barrier, but it could be CMU. But now you need a ton of people on the job putting bricks on. You're going to need mass climbers around it because mass climbers can hold, you know, hold the weight of bricks and so on. You don't see much of that anymore, and I don't suspect it's going to grow. I think that's a shrinking part. Now, non-load-bearing panels are where we're going to spend most of our time, and that could be cold form metal framing, yes, non-load-bearing, glass, aluminum, precast, glass fiber reinforced concrete, to, to name a few, right? Uh, and all have been prefab for many years, so there's nothing new about it, and it's not going to change. Almost all are spandrel panels, which means it runs by the slab. So if the slab, there'll be a two or three inch gap, and then the, the, their, your exterior spandrel panel will hang off the building. That's why they call it a curtain wall, because it hangs. It provides no structural support. It's a feature. So some of the commonalities, it passes by the slab, it gets connected back to the slab. And again, this is precast cold from whatever glass, uh, aluminum, that creates a construction joint that needs to be um, sealed with some kind of fire containment system. Again, another, another episode on that, but it usually is allowed to move. Uh, it allows for a quick install. However, it requires a crane to install it and it's installed by elevation because you're not gonna get an erector to work on two or three elevations at the same time. And it typically happens after the building tops out. Okay, remember I said that. It typically happens after the building. It's quick as all get out. Think about a cold form metal framing unit. It could be if, it's, if the vertical columns are 30 feet wide, the panel will be 30 feet by five or six feet, right? And the top will be the sill of the floor of the fifth floor. The bottom will be the ceiling of the fourth floor. So that's how it works. So about two and a half years ago, uh, I walked into a shop in Fairfax and was owned by CJ Coakley Company Inc., Michael Coakley and Liam Coakley. And they were in the in the beginning of their prefabrication business. Both were really excited about it. They bought some roll formers, they made capital investments, and they also were looking to leverage that for ring screen. And it excited me. Their, their progressiveness and their outlook on construction was very appealing. I wanted to be a part of it. You know, they didn't do this for any other reason. They've been in business for almost 60 years as a drywall contractor. They're heavy in plaster. But they, because they wanted to grow their business, but they didn't want to get to the point of diminishing returns with more drywall work, that low cost to entry business where there were 10 different bidders on each job. They wanted to mitigate the struggles that they had and they saw getting worse with manpower and competition. They wanted to be a solution oriented company using prefab components to help their clients add value to their clients. They wanted to be, uh, they wanted to use prefab as a differentiator and leverage it, as I said earlier, to get more work on the same job in this particular case. It was rain screen. Now the biggest single difference that, that I had to learn was this was slab to slab construction. So you know, there's all kinds of, of issues with, with slab tolerance and deflection. 
the ability for the slab to settle, right? And the, 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 the tolerance that your concrete sub has over every 10 feet and it varies, but it could be as much as uh, three quarters of an inch, you know, in a, in, a, in a short run. So, you know, these things had to be dealt with and, and I'll tell you what, uh, they did. Couple things, most contractors will give a drywall contractor to do conventional stick framing a week to frame the floor. Then you get another week to put sheathing on. Then another week to put air barrier on. Okay, and it's done by elevation because the air barrier and the sheathing is done off of swing stages. So if you're on the ground floor, you're not gonna ring the ground floor with a swing stage, you're not gonna do it. You're gonna wait to get four or five floors up after the reshores are removed, right? You're gonna get your, your steel in there. Then you're gonna get outside the building. So you're gonna get four or five floors on the east elevation. Then you're gonna move over to the north, to the west, to the south. Um, and, and that's how it happens. So. In, in drying in a building, it makes sense to go in a circular fashion to ring the building. Now, when you, when you use prefabricated panels like Pre, uh, Prefab Solutions LLC, the panels are detailed through uh, software after a laser scan or, or a, um, uh, any kind of measurement system, detailed, the jump drive given to the shop guy, puts it in, uh, the roll former, the, the roll former comes out. The workers in the shop assemble it. They don't cut anything except top track. That's it. They don't have to measure it enough to square. It works. So they're assembling it. Um, and then the pounds get shipped to the job with air barrier on it. When it gets to the job, the air barrier in the transition areas like slabs and exterior columns are already detailed. So all they have to do is connect the dots. And as soon as the panels are installed, there's bulk drying. Now, it's important that the glass follows closely, but, but prefab rings each floor and it can do it in about 60% of the time for stick building. There's always gonna be some stick building involved, but it's a beautiful thing to see the panels go up, 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 up. We can even put brick ties on if, if brick is the exterior. Now the sequence, again, is, is critical. The sequence starts with a point cloud laser scan and ends with the install. The benefits are pretty amazing. It creates bulk drawing upon installation of the panels eliminates the need for exterior scaffolding. Think about this. If you're not doing sheathing and air barrier on, you know, if you're doing it from the inside, it's already on the panels, or it's already on the slab when the panels get there, there's no need to go outside the building. So you're eliminating all that scaffold. It reduces the schedule. This may be the biggest single uh, benefit of all. It reduces the schedule of closing the building. If you're a buyer, Listen to this again. It reduces the schedule you need to close in the building. So if you get prefab involved early in the process and work with their schedule and create the follow-on trade schedule, in particular glass and glazing and caulking with the prefab schedule, then you're on the right track. You can get all of the interior trades and the exterior trade on the building sooner. Reduces on-site manpower. When you can look at a job in particular, 
uh, the spandrel panels are even easier because you know you you don't have to wait for the building to be built. You can have those panels ready weeks and even months ahead of time. But for infill panels, you need to measure. So as soon as the as soon as the slabs are stripped, you're measuring or you're scanning. Once you do the scan, you can make the panels. The panels can be ready for shipping. But you do it in a controlled environment. There's no weather impacts. There's no weather impacts. The only real weather impact you're going to have outside of a major blizzard uh, is uh, wetness because there's one thing you got to do on site and that's put the transition membrane on the slab. Everything else, there's no weather issues. So you're not going to lose days. You're going to increase quality control. Again, without all the men on the outside of the building, you're going to increase safety. And think about it. Decreasing waste is huge. We bring clients into our shop and when, and when they make a 10-foot piece of steel, there might be a two-inch piece that's not used, a knockoff. That's it. So I'm saying to you, buy or bring in prefab early, right? It'll reduce, as I said earlier, the borrowing costs and the cost of the general contractor general conditions because we finish early. The building can open sooner. You're going to maximize your revenue. In the last 24 months, Prefab Solutions LLC has successfully installed over 10,000 infill panels in the greater DC market. Did we know everything then? No. Did we learn a lot? Yes. Are we a lot better than we were two years ago? Absolutely. And we were pretty good then. So, Prefab, look, it's changing construction forever. So for every construction owner, general contractor, architect, project manager, field employee, intern, vendor, business development team, you're all going to be impacted. So I would strongly recommend that you engage prefab as not a way forward, but the way forward. So when I started the episode, I actually read a um, quote from Autodesk that talked about in 2035, the majority of buildings will use IC, industrialized construction, prefab. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you one more quote. And it reads, and I quote, prefab is here to stay. Those who embrace it will remain on top and those who don't will be left behind, end quote. You know who said that? I did. <laughs> if you want to discuss how you can engage in prefab, you can contact me at LinkedIn or through my website at adacorp.com or through the website at prefabsolutionsllc.com. So thanks again for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the episode on prefab construction. As you can tell, it's obvious. I'm excited about where it is today, but really even more so excited about where it's going. I hope you feel the same way and I hope you engage in prefab. Until then, stay safe and stay tuned. So if you have questions about starting, building, or selling your business or anything in between, contact me two ways. Go to my website, adacorp.com, that's A-D-I-C-O-R-P.com, that's my last name spelled backwards, or visit me on LinkedIn, go to David Proceda and leave your messages there. Visit us on our YouTube channel at Elevate 
the industry. Check us out on Instagram at Elevate Industry. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Either way, we'll talk next week. And between now and then, stay safe and stay tuned. All the music for the episodes, including our theme song, Elevate, was provided by DMV producer Trey Skills. If you like what you heard, follow Trey Skills on Instagram at Trey Skills, T-R-E-Y-S-K-I-L-L-Z. That's T-R-E-Y-S-K-I-L-L-Z. Elevate. Elevate.